everyone how's it going welcome to know your gear qa number 135 and uh hope everybody had a great week <laughs> i spent the day moving furniture uh for my parent-in-laws so how uh how is uh how's everybody doing Let's see what's going on. I got a couple subjects to talk about this week. I'm sure you guys have a couple things you want to talk about as well. Uh, anything exciting? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. And of course, a couple things to notate uh, at the beginning of every show. I should say this. One, uh, this is also a podcast, so I'll put a link when I index this uh, on the replay that you can watch it on uh, like iTunes and stuff like that. And so it's actually consumed more as a podcast than it is a live uh, show on YouTube. The other thing that's uh, probably worth noting is that I index all the questions or subjects we talk about. So uh, whatever is the highlighted question of the week, if you're watching today because of that, you should look in the comment section right now and are in the uh, description and see where to go to get to that exact question. So there you go. The other thing is, if you're going to ask a question today, uh, we do it with a question mark, at, question mark at the beginning of your question. Uh, it's okay if you put one at the end too, but you need one at the beginning. So when I'm scanning, I can read it as a question. So there you go. So let's uh, let's talk about it. I actually have uh, some, some questions that were sent in to me earlier today and yesterday. And uh, you can send those to ask uh, know your gear at gmail.com. Of course, you know, just like anything, there's no guarantee I can get to all of them. But I, I try to pick a few that are interesting. There was one that definitely came up that was interesting. So before we get into the thing, I want to talk about this. I got a question and the question was, Phil, what do you think of the new Carvin Mach 100? And uh, I'm going to screen share that with you right now. Let's see. Where do I go for that on this thing? Uh, screen share. Click that. And go ahead and I'm going to share this with you. So what it is, is a pedal that is a hundred watt, uh, probably class D power amplifier, uh, that's 50, 50. So 50 watts stereo each side. And, uh, you can see it's a little form factor pedal, about the size of a boss pedal. And for $200, you can put a hundred watts of power, uh, on your pedal board. But, that actually was not the question that was sent to me. It wasn't, what do I think of it? The question was, what do I think of the fact that it looks exactly like the Harley Benton custom line Thunder 99 that's been out for a while? And uh, that is interesting. They are identical uh, in their specifications. They're identical in their cosmetics. They look exactly like, I'll go back, like the same exact pedal uh, and I'll click back again. As you can see, they look identical. Uh, the jacks seem to line up. The knob looks like the identical knob. They uh, consume the same amount of power, output the same amount of power. But of course, the Harley Benton is $82. Now, I know what you're thinking. Let's go back to. Yeah, to me. You can see me right here, okay? Cool. I don't want to get rid of that. That's what I want. Okay, so I'll bring it back up in a second uh, after I get your guys' thoughts. But this is an interesting subject because 
this is different than what we've noticed in the past. Of course, Harley Benton, which is uh, owned by Tolman, uh, is a company that makes guitars and pedals. You know, like JoYo makes the Harley Benton pedals. So that's who makes Harley Benton pedals is JoYo. Um, they don't make this pedal as far as I know, but they could, but I don't believe they do. They make the other pedals that, that are har labeled Harley Benton. We know Harley Benton makes cabinets and of course Harley Benton makes guitars and a lot of their stuff is modeled after other companies' stuff. But that's not what we're talking about in today's uh, show. We're talking about the fact that the Carvin pedal is actually a copy of the already existing Harley Benton pedal. And it's more than double the price. Now, what's interesting about this is this is something that is becoming more common in, in our industry, very common in other industries, and definitely not heard, unheard of in our industry, but more common. Instead of where you see a manufacturer designing a product and then moving the product overseas to cut, cut, cut costs, uh, this is where you see a manufacturer here in the U.S. going to overseas markets, picking something that's already being made there and label branding it as themselves, as Carvin or as the company. So it, it's possible. So, you know, just because I, I haven't A-B these two pedals, it is possible that Carvin has specifications with the manufacturers making this pedal to, to put better quality standard parts in there. And that could sub substantially explain the cost. However, um, given that I had a one-on-one a, a -on -one conversation with the powers of be at Tolman after I did the 212 Tolman uh, video where we talked about how did they make a cabinet for the same price as the two speakers, I happen to be aware of the fact that Tolman buys in massive quality, uh, quantities, not qualities, quantities, massive. So they get the cost down that way and they put the cost, uh, your cost slightly above their cost for market penetration. So it wouldn't shock me if I found out, I'm not saying this is the case. It wouldn't shock me if I found out that Carvin was paying about what Harley Benton is selling us that pedal for or roundabouts and then having to, of course, increase the, the price to us. So the question is to you guys is, what do you think of that? Is this, uh, this was the question to me. I'm going to uh, give you my two cents, but I want to see what you guys think. Any any thoughts about this? Uh, you know, does it matter to you? Do you guys feel like that if Carvin or a brand name puts their brand on a product that's already been out in the market for double the price, you still feel more confident to pay that price because of maybe Carvin's got a better reputation than Harley Benton. So uh, uh, any, any thoughts on that? <laughs> so, um, and uh, I can tell you why you guys are commenting and I'm scanning over. I'll tell you my personal thought is, is I, I'm wondering if maybe Carvin didn't know. That's really what I think. I think that Carvin uh, is developing new products. I reviewed one of their, their X1 pedals. I really enjoyed that pedal. That pedal was made in Texas, um, but it wasn't made by Carvin. That was outsourced. That was just domestic outsourced. In other words, outsourced in the US. You can outsource something domestically, just like you can outsource something uh, internationally. Um, and maybe they outsourced this uh, to, a, uh, to a company and didn't realize that company had already kind of had a, had a, a market out there with it at a much lower price. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, I will tell you this. Uh, I, I'm really curious to AB the two now, maybe maybe review the two. I'd be willing to do it if you guys thought it was that interesting. So um, John Douglas says, logos aren't worth my money. Well, what's funny is the logo is supposed to be not only like a brand for like to, you know, maybe like a, a clothing line, maybe it's to make you feel good or show people that you've hit some kind of status, but a brand is supposed to reassure you of quality, right? I mean, that's essentially what 
what branding is. A good brand means that they have a reputation for being quality or they have a reputation that you feel like when you're giving your money to the unknown, which is the product that, you know, based on the reputation, the product will, will do what you want. Um, so yeah, I agree. I don't know if a logo is worth uh, $112 more. So anyways, interesting. So that's our subject. Uh, I thought it was cool. I thought I'd just give you my thoughts on it. Like I said, I'd be hard pressed to see myself buy the carbon for double the price. I hate to say it. Uh, unless of course I found out there was something internal in it that was substantially better, uh, for the money. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of an interesting thing. I was in shock. So, you know, I was waiting to, when I was investigating it, looking at it, that I was going to see, uh, you know, <laughs> something where I was missing something like, oh, aha, that's why it's different. But I mean, I'm telling you, as you guys can see, you guys can click. I'll put the links at, when I index this to both. You can see that it, on, on face value, it looks like it's almost identical in every way. It's an identical product that's just been rebranded for some other companies. And we're seeing that more and more, by the way. Uh, what I mean by that is I'm seeing it uh, as a YouTube reviewer. What I get all the time is companies sending me uh uh, uh, email saying, Hey, we want you to review this product. They open up the product and it's literally a product that like a clip on tuner, um, that has been made by 50 other companies or a pedal or uh, even a guitar. It's just stuff that's been just, they're sticking their brand on it. So it's interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. So, uh, Ed Axman says generic carbon. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could be a, it could be a bad move. I, I basically what I was going to say is that's another thing I see too. Uh, where I can honestly say, I think Jeff Kiesel took Kiesel and made it better. I don't know if the new carbon is better than the old carbon. And, uh, and, uh, that's sad because I really want carbon to do well. I liked carbon before I would like carbon to do better. I would like to see what Kiesel does to the guitars. Carbon does to the audio side. Let's make it better. Let's, let's take the legacy and, uh, of giving great product for dollar value instead of whatever the direction of the company is now. It does not seem like to be the way to go. That's just my two cents. Again, that being said, I do have to make the caveat that I really did like the product that I tried. The product that I have had in hands, which is the Carbon X one, I did like. So it was a good quality product. So, all right, what else do we got? Any questions out there or comments with anything going on? Uh, Randall Vandergriff says... What cheap and medium price guitars feels expensive? Do you think about, did you think about my question? Yes. What cheap and medium price guitars feel expensive? Um, to answer your question, uh, let me take a sip of water real quick. Hold on. It's called stalling. But so you know, I was literally in a storage shed today moving furniture. So it was a little dusty. I had a respirator on, but not the whole time. Okay. Um, you know, I just don't know the answer when I think of a cheap guitar and I don't want to say cheap because it's not because that's not the right word. You should say inexpensive or some kind of salesy jargon like that. It's the guitar I'm thinking of is an inexpensive guitar. When I think of a cheap guitar that feels uh, expensive, I think of Mexican strats. That's the product that sticks in my head. You know why? Because when I pick up a Mexican strat, I always feel like I don't feel like anything. I don't feel like there's anything missing. I can pick it up and play it all the time. It's, 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 it's definitely one of the guitars I recommend. I always recommend Korean made Schecters and, and, uh, and Mexican Strats. I just like them both. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's an, it's an internal thing. It has to do based on a couple things. I've sold a lot of them both and I've seen the reactions of the customers, not only when they buy them, but how long they've kept them. And it feels like just in my head and through, through the experience of it, every time I sent somebody down the road, it was a, 
more times out of not that it was the right road working on the guitars same thing i never dread working on them i always know what i'm going to expect if there's an issue with them i know what the issue is and it's very easy to fix there's very few of them there that are going to have uh problems so i think those are two lines that are, are are very consistent interesting thing about mexican strats though and i and i can say tellies too so you know if you guys are wondering about tellies mexican tellies and strats interesting thing about mexican tellies and strats that it was always confused me is that when I, if somebody's asked me, how do I feel about them in consistency? I feel like they're very consistent. I feel like that the majority eight out of 10 Mexican strats or tellies, if you pick them up off the, uh, out of the box, when you get them, they're going to be good quality products. Okay. Maybe even nine out of 10, but I'm trying to be a little safe window here. Eight out of 10. However, what's always confused me is out of that same factory, which I've been to, and it's a very quality factory in Ensenada. When you think of Mexican made Jackson's and EVHs and Charvel's, Although I love those guitars, obviously the new Charvel I got that's made in Mexico is fantastic. And uh, so much so that my, one of my close friends just bought one just like it. Um, but, uh, but what I was going to say was they're way more inconsistent. <laughs> I've had more dodgy experiences with them. So it's kind of weird to me that it's not only that the made in Mexico factory is a good factory, in my opinion, is that it's just something about the formula they have in making that guitar model is really good. And I can think, I say, I think the same thing about Schecter as well. Very good stuff. So I, I was hoping to review a Schecter. Schecter reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in reviewing guitar. I let them know yes, but uh, you know, you never know. But uh, I figure I'll give them some time if they don't get us a, a guitar to review so we can share it with you guys. I'll, I'll just figure out a way. Maybe I'll buy one. <laughs> you know, I've been buying guitars lately to review and, uh, and uh, you guys seem to like the videos. It's just uh, it's just difficult, more difficult that way, obviously, than when a company loans you a product. Um, yeah, Justin says the Charvel seem to be very high quality, really high quality at the moment. Yeah. Okay. So the green one I bought. I mean, he here's the here's the the the. There's 500 of you, so I'm sure you guys are gonna go break the internet when I say certain things. But I just got to be very honest with you. That new Charvel, I like it so much that I don't really need to keep my Music Man anymore. Not that it's better than my Music Man. That's not what I'm implying. I'm just thinking, man, when I'm playing it, the, the play, I have the Music Man Petrucci, the blue one that you guys seen. I have a video. I'll put a link to that. And I have the new Charvel. I, I think I like the Charvel a little better. I don't know what it is. The neck feels the same. It's got that high-end kind of really finished neck with the polished frets. Um, feels great. Both great guitars. No, no question. But it's just shocking to me that the $2,000 Music Man and the $1,000 Charvel for half the price, it feels as good to me. And I really, really like Music Man. I've always said this. Music Man is definitely a high quality instrument. Um, so it's uh, really shocking. I agree with you. It's, some of those Charvels, I, I would never say that about some of the earlier Charvels that I played in the last few years. Uh, I, I love them, like them, own them. But I wouldn't say they were as good as my music man. That's that's uh, crazy. Um, let's see. Uh, Bill wants to know, are we starting an hour earlier than we used to? Uh, no, Bill. Remember, the problem is, and I don't know, maybe you guys, if you guys have suggestions for me on how to fix this, let me know. I live in Arizona. Arizona, if you're in the United States, you'll know this. If you're outside the United States right now, you may not understand this. Arizona is one of the only two states of the 50 states that does not participate in daylight savings. So when the country turns its clocks back an hour, we don't. <laughs> so half the year, uh, I'm Pacific time and half the year I'm mountain time. So that's the problem. 
So um, I thought about picking a time like Pacific time and just saying sticking with it um, and then changing it. So half the year it's on at three o'clock and half the year it's on at whatever, you know, two o'clock or it's at three o'clock, but it'll be two o'clock to me or whatever. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, it'll probably be less confusing. So let me know you guys' thoughts on that. You know what I mean? Pick a time frame and then stick it, stick to it. But like I said, it's that's the tough part. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rick Tober says, I live in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, that's where I live. Uh, and it says, uh, where would you best place to buy a guitar in person? Milano's or somewhere else? Milano's I like if you want to if you want to get uh, like a Fender product, they're good. If you Epiphone products, they have a good selection of those as well. Um, and they're pretty good. I, I like them. Uh, I like the Sam Ash. That's a good store. The one in Glendale. It's really far from us. If you're in Mesa, it's on the other side of town, but man, it's a good store. It's one of the best Sam Ashes I've been in. Uh, and I've been in a lot. And uh, that's, that's basically a couple places. It depends. You're not saying what kind of guitar you're looking for. So it's hard to say, you know, where to send you. I, I usually would say, go to the store that has what you're looking for. Um, so, but, uh, you, you mentioned Milano's. I like the Milano's people. They've been here since 1946. I've always had a good relationship with them. I had a good relationship with them when I had my store. Uh, I was really fr uh, good friends with that store and, uh, we worked a lot together and a uh, great, great business, but, uh, and I have a good relationship with Sam Ash. So of course I'm, I'm going to send you to those type stores, but again, what would be nice to know, uh, what stores you're, your, what your product you're looking at that would help me point you in a, in a way. In a direction, I should say, because there's a bunch of stores that I like in town. Um, let's see. Uh, oh my goodness. All right, hold on. You know what? I just realized the super chats, uh, they came over on the other side. So let me grab one of those because I didn't see those. Andrew says, thank you so much for helping with the donations. So Andrew is, you're welcome, Andrew. Andrew, if you guys uh, know, it's a little premature to tell you guys, but Andrew reached out um, the 7th on the live show on the 7th. And he's a teacher who teaches after, after school programs for kids. He needed two guitars. Um, You'll see the video is already done. So, uh, in fact, I don't think Andrew, you haven't seen the video. So after the live show today, I'll send you a link to see the video. The patrons saw the video already. So I made a video. So Andrew doesn't know this, but he knows that he's getting some, I'm helping him. He needed some guitars. We're going to send him two guitars. I got a company to help. Uh, the problem is I can't release the video until they actually pay. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got to pay for the, they're going to pay for the guitars. So I got a company to donate the guitars. So, uh, but, um, I had to, to, to get them to donate the guitars. I had to create the content and, uh, to make sure I would do it, you know, cause they want to make sure I make the video. So anyways, uh, yes, you're going to see that. I think it won't be the next video you guys see. It's going to be probably about two videos out, but yes, you'll be seeing a video. You guys being the audience, will see a video soon where, uh, I'm going to review a cool product and at the end uh, announce that uh, we were able to help out his uh, his after school program. So it was really cool. So I was able to get a company to help me out and uh, and uh, I'm excited about that. And I'm excited, Andrew. I'm hoping you're excited, too. And like I said, I'll, I'll send you a link so you can see it uh, to the video. Uh, Six String Brian says, what are your thoughts on the YouTube co uh, COPPA? Co I think it's COPPA is how they say it. Uh, legislation. How will it affect the guitar channels? You know, it's it's interesting. Again, I'm taking water because I'm th throat's dry. 
If you don't know what six string Brian's talking about, this isn't going to be a really exciting uh, subject to talk about for guitar channel. Uh, Kappa is the, um, the law that's going to take an effect. It's already effect. Now it takes it just in basically think about this way in January channels are going to have to start, uh, ad adjusting their content. In other words, labeling their content for children or not. Um, it's pretty straightforward. A lot of doom and gloom out there on the internet. The reality is no one really knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, I'm sure, you know, right now some people get oh, fired up, uh, cause I've just, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> um, here's what I will tell you. And again, this has nothing to do with, uh, doing content on YouTube. Um, I have been in business for myself since 2004. Okay. Uh, so 16 years coming up on now, 16 years, I haven't took a check from a company. I had to generate my own income every day through, through my businesses, through my, through my, me, I create me and I'm the sole, uh, whatever you call it, sole provider of my family. So the reason I tell you that is I've always done this. I've done this since I decided I didn't want to work for a corporation anymore. I had a great corporate job. I left that corporate job. It had, I had my own reasoning to do that. But, and it wasn't sure because I didn't like the company. I love the company. I'm still friends with everyone there. Um, but it didn't take me long to figure out to, to diversify. So you have to diversify. So what the new legislation is going to do is it's going to be a little trickier to get paid on YouTube for channels, especially fam family friendly content channels. This is why it's important to be diversified. This is why it's important to have a community uh, like you guys to support the channel. You know what I mean? Um, what I could tell you is this. Uh, my channel, if they were to shut off all the, uh, the, the, the financial of the channel, um, that's, that's what the, the patrons have been supporting the channel as well. That's a big leg of that support is the channel is the patrons. So th to be honest with you, that's a big part of it. But anyways, uh, so back to this, cause I don't want to suck up too much time on this. Cause again, it's not really a guitar related uh, thing because it's mostly about, like I said, just making sure your channels in, in line. What I'm going to do is what everybody I think should do, which is, uh, go through your channel, abide by the laws the best way you can. Um, you know, uh, you know, that's all you can do. <laughs> you get the, re the rest of you who are interested in it, uh, you can read or read about it or check it out. There's a ton of stuff, conversations about this. But again, the most important thing is the really tricky thing is, is that um, where it's really interesting to me is there's a ton of people out there talking about it in the, in the respect of being authorities of it. And the reality is, is no one's really clear. That's what everybody's confused about. Um, I have two close friends that are attorneys and they were looking at it and they, they came to the same conclusion I did, which is it's very confusing. So it's best to err on caution. And again, uh, I never wake up any day and think YouTube is going to be anything for me. <laughs> I'm shocked. Uh, in fact, I, I shouldn't tell you guys this, but since you guys kind of feel like family on the live show more so than anything else, uh, there's not a personal friend of mine that hasn't heard me say weekly. I always say this is my last week on YouTube. I say it to my friends all the time. I always think this is the last week. So, um, uh, I'm shocked. It's still here. When I made the announcement a couple years ago that I was going to focus more on YouTube and not work in my store anymore. Um, I meant for a year. <laughs> I'm, I think I said that. I don't remember. I have to look back at that video, but I basically said like, Oh, I'm going to focus more on YouTube, but I meant for like the next year. Um, I thought for sure that ride would end. So I'm shocked. It's still going now. I'm shocked. Anybody's 
uh, I don't know. I'm just shocked about everything every day. I'm shocked about this stuff. So anyways, uh, let's talk about some guitar stuff. So let me grab some. I know you guys did some super chats while I was talking. Let's do some non super chats real quick. And I pinned the super chats. Um, uh, <laughs> they, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm sorry, real quick, guys. I'm looking for a quick question. Oh. Six in line said PRS dumped the S2 single cut. Now I feel pressure to get one before they're gone, but I want an old core Mira. Cannot try try cannot try them both. Um yeah, I didn't know. I haven't heard that they they're they're getting rid of the S2 single cut. Um I can tell you six in line that if that is true, I haven't heard that uh, uh, through, through the rumor mills or anything, but if that's true, I did hear a rumor and uh, about something else that they were coming out with. So if they did cancel the single cut, which shocks me by the way, to, to think that they would do that, but it would make the other rumor I heard very interesting. So what I mean is there might be something cooler coming down the pike from the S2 line in the single cut realm is what I'm saying. Huh, interesting. But on that note, uh, I have an S2 single cut, semi hollow. I I love it. It's uh, it's great. In fact, I have two. I'm, get, I'm getting rid of one, but uh, I have two. And uh, I just like I have two mirrors. I have two mirrors and two single cut S2s. And uh, and here's what happened. It's I did the thing where I think you do, where I love my Mira core a lot. In fact, it's it's like I said, it's the guitar that gets played a lot probably the most that in my strat and my s2 semi hollow i loved so much so that I, I thought well maybe that's what i should just play is those guitars so i got a second one of each basically and now i figured out that uh they're both great both the two versions are great but i just like having the the first ones i had there's just something about them i bonded with sometimes you just oddly bond to a guitar it has no real no sense of anything on the quality of the guitar or anything just i don't know you like one better uh, okay. Let's go to a super chat question. Cause those are, those are stacking up over here on the left column for me. Uh, uh, Raymond says, do you find solo live loopers interesting? Um, huh. I don't know if I understand this question. Do you mean like people for who perform with loopers live? Do I find them interesting? Cause that's what I'm thinking of a solo live looper. Interesting. A person who loops live. Um, I have to say if that's the question and I hope it is, cause otherwise I'm answering a question and you didn't ask. Uh, I used to, it, people who did loopers, uh, always used to mesmerize me. You know what I mean? you'd be like, wow, that's so crazy. They made a whole song from loops. But after you've seen so many people do it, it doesn't amaze me anymore. <laughs> it's like the evil Knievel. You know, he jumped the canyon. Nah, okay, now I saw somebody do it. it so that's the same thing. So I think it's cool, but it doesn't it, it doesn't interest me like it used to um, because of that reason. I've seen it. And actually, I get anxious now and when I'm watching them because I get like, okay, yeah, you're looping that. Okay, you're looping that. I know this is going. I know this is going. But every once in a while, somebody catches you off guard and, you, and they do something really cool. But for the most part, I don't find it as interesting as I used to. Uh, Eddie says some, uh, know, know your beer funds. So you don't overdose on water. I appreciate that, but yeah, I definitely need to drink the water right now. Cause, uh, but thank you. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, Steve Long says, hey, Phil, two questions. One, I have a Taylor 2006 uh, 714 CE. I have a 714 CE. Um, so, you know, I, my main two acoustics are a 214 uh, CE Deluxe and a 714 CE. Those are the two acoustics I play the most. Um, I used to play my Breedloves all the time, but then the Taylors just kind of took over. So should I send it in for uh, refreshing by Taylor or a local shop? Okay, that's the first question. So we'll go to that. Um, here's the thing about that. It depends. I, I like, I love the idea now that a lot of factories uh, like Taylor and PRS are doing this stuff where you can send them the guitar that they built and they can refresh it, so to speak. Like you said, uh, you know, bring it back to the snuff, put new finish, the newer finishes on it, maybe fix some issues. Um, it, there's a little bit of... Um, there's a little bit of, um, what do you call it? Security and knowing that the company that built it is going to be handling it. Um, so the question is, or to a local shop, I would only pick the local shop on two criteria. One, maybe the local shop has a reputation that you trust and know, and you have some experience with them and that they may have the experience, experience luther, luthier that you love. Um, but otherwise, uh, I wouldn't uh, pick them over Taylor and not definitely don't do it because of cost. Like if the shop's half the price of Taylor, the Taylor guys are going to probably be expensive. The PRS guys are nuts expensive for their stuff, but they're expensive because they're not dumb. They know that, hey, we built this guitar. Whatever you you we do to this guitar, we can make this guitar look brand new right? They do it all the time. So you guys know, somebody asked me once, what do they do with guitars when we return them for reviews? And uh, I don't know if PRS does this, but I found out from a couple companies just recently that what they do is we send them back and that's what they do. They strip them down, refinish them and make a new guitar out of them. So as that was an interesting thing, I didn't know that if the guitars have any show uh, signs of wear. So I don't know, the Taylor thing seems like a good idea. It just depends, right? Like I said, I wouldn't pick the shop for the cost. Like I said, pick the shop because you have a great reputation or rapport with them and they have a great reputation. Otherwise, Taylor seems like a good way to go. Jim Jr. has no sustain on the 24th fret on the high E. What could cause that? That's interesting because at that point, nothing's obstructing the string. In other words, there's no frets past that. So you're hitting that note. Uh, congratulations on you for hitting that note, by the way. I, I, I play nothing on the 24th fret of a guitar. Every time I own a 24th fret guitar, I think to myself, this is, this is weird. <laughs> it's like two, I always like having the two extra frets, but I, I find I play nothing up there. So that's cool. Uh, good for you. I, I'm too boring blues slick guy to, to do that. Um, but anyways, um, the only thing that could cause something I'm trying to think on that, especially on that guitar, what would cause the sustain to die? It's, it's not a fret. Could be your pickups too high. I said, it's such a, a, such a lame answer, but I mean, I'm not looking at the guitar and I'm throwing a guess. A lot of times you guys ask me these tech questions without looking at guitars. You understand I can only throw guesses. I can't throw my experience at it because my experience, I need to touch and look at it and see what I'm, I'm dealing with. But a pickup would definitely chop off some of that sustain. And if the pickup was too high, especially that guitar, I mean, there's a lot of pickups right there. If they're, they're riding that string too much. Um, I mean, so, you know, that problem is very rare. Some people says it's not true. Some people say it's, it's true. What I can tell you is I've experienced where a pickup has caused a string to buzz because it was, it was causing the string to, to, to get pulled down and hit the frets. I've experienced where it did kill the sustain, but it didn't, it's not common. And it's only like, like I said, all the things have to align in the world. In other words, the right kind of pickup, the right kind of guitar, but that could be it too. The other thing is, and I, I doubt it. Uh, but so, you know, 
if the string isn't clamped into the Floyd, uh, especially the edge tremolo system correctly, that could also cause the problem with sustain. So there you go. That's a, that's the things that would stop the string from ringing out. Um, the uh, high action wouldn't do it. Low action doesn't apply because, like I said, it's the last fret. There shouldn't be any frets chopping that off. So I don't know. Curious. Uh, SD Design says he lives 10 miles from the Taylor factory and he's applied for a job at Taylor. Well, you should hope you get the job and then you can work on his guitar. That would kind of work out cool, wouldn't it? Um, uh, C, uh, C progress says, uh, could be too low. Yeah. Yeah. Like the string is too low, low action. Like I said, I know it's strange cause there's nothing past that 24 fret to, for the string to touch. I've talked about this before when you have low action, that's what's happening. Strings are touching things, whether we call it kiss, kiss in the fret, it's barely touching it. Every time it touches something, it's losing momentum. Um, it's not likely being on the less fret that they're going to have anything touch and have lose momentum, lose momentum. But yeah, low, a low string could do it as well, but it'd have to be super low. I mean, super low, but yeah, he's not wrong. I've seen that too. Again, less common than the other things I've seen when I, I said as the issue without looking at it, but definitely happens as well. Um, okay. Let's see. All right. Uh, what else do we got? <laughs> A lot of you guys are just reiterating the things we just talked about. So that's cool. Let's, uh, let's find something. I'm going back because I was talking. I want to see if I find any. Uh, Gitbox six string says, what aftermarket necks do you like? Question mark, working on a couple builds. Not sure which necks are good. I really like that crimson guitar neck I built that beer caster guitar I made. I have to admit, I really like that neck. Um, there was, there's something cool about that guitar over time, that guitar. I, I wonder all the time if it would be as interesting. The beer caster guitar that I did is funny to me because it's a kit guitar that I built. And what is interesting was well, something I would have never detected until, you know, it's been almost a year coming up on a, you know, not yet, but it's coming up on a year since I did it. Um, that is the most, uh, what am I trying to say? That guitar is the most talked about thing when people come over my house. Like when, when, uh, when somebody comes over my house that knows the channel in any way, shape or form, whether it's my kids, friends, or just a friend I haven't seen in a while, that guitar, it's like weird how people gravitate toward it. And I always wonder if that would have been as interesting if, if it wasn't made in England and it wasn't a crimson guitar build. You know what I mean? It was just something about having those parts come from, from England. Uh, it was really cool. Plus, as I said, the quality was great. I really like Warmoth necks, by the way. So I'll tell you what necks I like. I like Warmoth necks. I really like crimson guitar necks. I have done Mighty Might necks. Mighty Might necks are um, hit or miss. I've had some that are just not the best, but as a whole, pretty good. Um, and, uh, far less expensive in my experience than the Warmoth, but I really like Warmoth next. I really feel like, let me, let me tell you something. So you guys know Warmoth is one of those companies out there. These used to be a ghost builder for high-end guitar companies. So whether you realize it or not, there are guitar players right now that are probably going to watch this, especially with the numbers that, you know, sometimes the channel gets to see, uh, that has some kind of eighties cool guitar that has a Warmoth neck on it, but it has branded as a company because Warmoth ghost built next for people. Um, so uh, of course they make great necks. So so that's that's a that's a given. Uh, so those are the necks I recommend the most. Uh, you guys might have some suggestions of, of necks. 
I mean, I've seen a ton. There's a ton of like inexpensive guitar companies that make necks, and uh, I have nothing bad to say about the ones I've I've seen. But I would say out of my favorite necks right now would be the Crimson Guitar Neck and the Warmoth Necks. Those two necks, uh, I've I just feel like I feel like I can honestly say if I bought one, I put on my guitar, I'd own it forever. It's really good. So, so it's nice. It's easier for me to say something I would do and versus telling you something I think you should do. Uh, let's see. Okay, hold on a second. I'm sc scrolling over with you guys. Hold on. Oh, Bruce just did two super chats. I think, hold on a second. Let me find out. Let me see what's going on with Bruce. Okay, I see I missed one. Okay, Rich D says, Howdy, Phil. After buying a new GNL Strat, uh, <laughs> it's a gene. I know what you mean. Uh, with action too high for, for my liking, I would normally have to adjust the bridge. Oh, I'm, I thought he was, he's asking a question. I thought he was giving me a statement after he bought his new GNL strat with action too high for his liking. Would I normally uh, have to adjust the bridge or the neck to get the action lower? Well, the, you know, I always get this, uh, this is a kickback that the internet loves, uh, when we're talking, you know, they, they say you don't adjust your neck to adjust action. But what I I'll tell you is this for, for me instructing you, if the action is, so you're saying the action is too high. If it's too high above the fifth fret, in other words, between the fifth fret and the 22nd fret, I would focus my adjustments to the bridge. In other words, lowering the bridge. If the action is high between the first fret and the fifth fret, then you, that's a good sign that you're going to need to tighten the truss rod on that. The first thing you want to do is make sure, you know, like I said, we watched the video with uh, Ron Thorne where he said train, right? Tune, uh, adjust the relief, which is adjust the neck. That's basically what I'm getting at is before what did you, I, I'm going to tell you that in most cases you're going to adjust the bridge, but always make sure your neck is set correctly, adjusted correctly. So that's the rule I follow. I like that rule. It serves me well. It serves me well when I'm illustrating it to somebody and they, and they do it. In other words, if your action is high between the first and fifth fret, go ahead and make sure that neck is straight or as, as you know, without too much relief. And then if it's high between the fifth fret and the 22nd fret, then that's when you're going to start the adjustment of the, uh, the bridge. That's the way to go about that. And don't feel bad about that. Um, I just uh, bought an expensive guitar and yeah, the action was crazy high. It was used. So, I mean, you know, and in fact, I kind of figured out, I think the, the guy who sold it, I think he thought it was a bad guitar. Um, but I don't think he understood what a setup was. It was a really interesting experience. Something I've seen maybe a half a dozen times over my time with guitars where someone buys an expensive guitar, but doesn't really know anything about guitars yet. And we had this happen once at the store. I know I say I don't talk about the stuff at the store. This is not a, this is not a customer that I, I, I could, I, I know this isn't going to be a problem. Uh, I had a guy once come in the store to trade in a guitar and uh he said because it, it was it was a nice guitar it was a gibson les paul actually and uh he he said i want to trade in because it plays horrible he just bought it and he was taking a bath on it because he just bought it and it because it played horrible and i picked it up and i said oh okay and he he knew already knew what guitar he wanted he pointed to a guitar on the wall and he goes i want to trade for that guitar because he came in earlier that day and played that guitar he's like i just want to trade these guitars can you tell me what the you know what the cost difference is going to be and i said well your guitar it just needs a setup and he didn't know what a setup was. So it was one of those moments where, you know, you try to, you try to win him over with, uh, with love and, you know, the customers. So I did a quick adjustment set up on his guitar and handed it to him. And he's like, this is fantastic. And it was like, I don't need you for anything. He didn't say that, but that's what happened. That's why it's a funny story. Cause it's one of those moments where you're like, 
you go, maybe I should have sold him that setup. <laughs> he probably bought a few things. I don't remember anyways. And he left, but what was really weird to me was in that moment. It was my, that was my, the reason why I'm recalling that story is because it was my first moment to realize, like, it never occurred to me. Someone would buy a two, $3,000 guitar and not know there's adjustments that, you know, that can be made to make a guitar play better. I think they just thought that's just how guitars come. Um, and then since then I found more and more players like that. So I don't know. That's an interesting side story. So um, I think I've said this before, but uh, uh, Johnny Bean, who who has a great YouTube channel, uh, him and Dave Nesdal and those guys, um, and he he does this. Uh, what I like to, what's the saying? I'm not a golfer, but isn't there a saying like you play you play it where it lands, right? Isn't that a thing? He has that mentality on guitars, which is cool. It was a strange conversation I had with him one time. Strange in being that I never heard anybody talk like this before. Johnny Bean, all his guitars play different because he plays like whatever they play like. That's what he he likes. That's how they play. So if he gets a guitar on the actual high, that's how he plays the guitar. And if the other guitar is lower action, it's like to me, it's like I want all my guitars to feel the same, which is funny because it never occurred to me until I was talking to him one day. His logic made more sense. Like to make the guitar be its own thing where I'm really trying to force all my guitars <laughs> to play the same, which is funny because they don't want to, because they're different. I don't know. So it's just a strange story. Maybe you guys will relate to some of that stuff. I, like I said, it's always interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, Melissa says, I got an Ibanez. Hi, Melissa. She uh, says, she got an Ibanez yesterday for $35 the other day that clearly had never been set up. It was terrible. Probably why it was so cheap. Yeah, well, like I said, it's real common. Uh, it's a real common thing. And um, and more importantly, you know, and, and, and a lot of people don't know to hold anybody accountable. You know, this is something I, I've talked about on the channel too. I get it. If you buy a used guitar, it's not set up. It's not set up. That's just the way the, the land rolls. And if you buy a guitar for a hundred dollars new, I don't know how you're going to get a retailer or a factory to make sure the guitar plays great. I just don't know how that's, you're going to get that to happen. But when you see a guitar for, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, they should play great. And I tell people all the time, if you get a guitar like that and it doesn't play great, everybody says the same thing. It's a weird thing that people say. And, I, and some musicians, and it's again, guys, always give your opinions too. You can put it in the comments. Somebody will say, you know, you know, every guitar needs to be set up for you personally. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but that's different, right? To me, it's like, okay, if you get a guitar for, let's say, a thousand dollars and it plays horrible and you go, well, it just needs a setup and that's just part of the expense of buying a guitar. Well, part of the expense of buying a guitar is having it personally set up. In other words, setting up to you personal liking and maybe putting your gauge of strings, your type of action, the way you like your guitar to feel. But a guitar at a certain price point should play nice. There should be an acceptable uh, uh, playing ability. You should be able to pull, pull it out and play it to some degree, I would imagine. Um, it, it confuses me. And the only reason I say that because um, here's how I know. This is why I believe this. Because I've picked up guitars out of the box that play fine for two, three hundred dollars. It happens. It happens. So it can happen at every price point. Well, at every higher end price point. So, so, uh, and then Joe Harvey's comment is high, higher action hype. I don't understand the question or the comment. It's hype. High action is hype. Like it's bad or good. Some people like high action. It just depends. 
I actually don't mind high action. I think uh, sometimes people get uh, misconstrued um, with me and low action. They think I don't like shredder low action. I like my guitars uh, just a little bit in the medium, you know, not, not super high, but not super low. Um, you can have, you know, it's up to you how low your action goes, but some people get their action so high that what I don't like is everything goes out of tune because it's so high. When you push down, everything goes sharp that I don't dig, but some players, so, you know, I used to believe that was a horrible thing. And then I met some players that literally have high action like that. And they literally learned how to play and sound great, better than I can ever sound pushing notes sharp. It's strange, different touch. Okay. Um, yeah, get box six string says it only bugs me if it puts the intonation off. Say me. That's the thing that drives me with high action is when the intonation's off. It, it really, really bugs me. Um, uh, and because I don't have, I, I have pretty strong hands. You know, I have big hands and I've been playing guitar for a long time. I mean, I don't have any problem pushing down. If I have trouble barring chords on a guitar, sometimes I go, this is ridiculous because I shouldn't be dealing with that issue at this point. Um, cause I can play guitar fine all day. But sometimes I pick up a guitar and I just cannot push down on this thing because it's just so crazy high action. Uh, uh, Shut Up Let's Talk says, I can't stand it when people fret, oh wait, fret too hard and can't tell. Yeah, you know when they're pushing too hard and going sharp? Um, yeah, but you know, so you know, that was a thing I used to push, uh, I used to push hard when I started playing guitar. As I start playing guitar and then I moved to bass and then in bass, I adopted like a whole new way of thinking for playing the instrument. And I went down that road for many years and then I had to return to guitar, which is something I happened to do. I don't know if you guys know this, but I didn't play guitar for, oh, I say 10 years. Now, when I say I didn't play guitar, I mean, I owned a guitar, like one uh, Mexican Strat. I think I had an Ibanez seven string uh, RG 720. And I had those two guitars for like, I don't know, five, six, seven years. And I never really played them much because I always played bass. And then I got a Nuno in four and that was it. Those are my guitars. And then I, when I opened the store, I had to play guitar to, I, I, I never knew this. And when I opened the store, it was the, I think that there's a few things I was shocked about when I started going down the retail world. Cause I was building bases at that point. So I was building bases and I decided to do retail at the, at the same time. I didn't realize that people came in the store and they're like, I want to buy a guitar. And I'm cool. And they're like, can you play it? <laughs> and I'm like, me? And they're like, yeah. So, and, and so, you know, you sell, and a lot of people tell you this, I work at, re at retail music stores, guitar centers, whatever. They'll tell you, I think you sell 60% of the guitars. Well, maybe that's high. Let's say, you say 40% of the guitars, 40% of the guitars you sell, you demo to the customer. It's a weird thing. It's so normal in a store. You don't even think about it. People, you know, Hey, will you, you show, you know, demo this for me. But it was strange to me to have that experience. Um, over time, it makes total sense now. It never occurred to me that people just don't like playing in public and you know people want to hear it and there's all this stuff. But anyways, uh, so I had to re rethink and relearn playing guitar again. It was really strange for me. And uh, when I started playing guitar again, that's what I was doing. I was pushing down so hard because I was just used to the bass. And I did that forever until I finally started deciding at some point, I'm like, I guess I'm playing guitar again. I better rethink this again. Uh, Richard Moore says Helix review. The Helix review is, uh, I don't know if I can show you. I can't show you it. <laughs> it's right next to me. I just realized there's something on. I can't show you cause I got a special Helix. Uh, uh, but, uh, yes, the review is done. I, I finished editing and everything. I just waiting to release it. So, um, 
And I'm going to give you my thoughts on what I think of the Helix and what I ended up deciding to do. Because I went through a whole modeling journey, which will be part of the video idea. And the way I'm approaching the videos, and it probably won't be the best for a lot of players. Look, there's a lot of great channels out there that really know this, this technology, and I highly recommend you check them out. I approached it the way I feel, which is um, how can I use this technology? Why do I find a use for it? What do I want to do with it? And what do I like and dislike about it? And that's all I'm going to give you. And, uh, and then that way, the people out there that maybe think like me or maybe kind of into the things that I'm into, like guitar amps and stuff, they'll see where all of a sudden I found a use for it and what I didn't find use for for it and what I didn't like it, what I, what I liked. So yeah, interesting. Lincoln Johnson said, just got the Helix Stomp. It is very cool. Um, let's see. Wait. Melissa says, and this is on the, the heels of talking about the guitars in the stores. She says, Melissa says, I can barely get a guitar center employee to talk to me, let her know and play a guitar for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not notice. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. It's tough. I actually have a local guitar center where I think because of the channel, it could be totally wrong. I've slowly got to know the couple of the employees and I've had some really good relationships or good experiences with them in the store. But I can tell you up until that point, I've never had a really positive experience that does at the GC stores. The guitar center as a whole is never really, it, it used to be my favorite store when I was in my early twenties. So, you know, guitar center so much. So like I said, there wasn't any in Arizona. We would drive me and my friends would drive to California to go to guitar center because it was so freaking awesome. Right. Um, my first, I'm going to tell you my first story just because I, I love telling the story. Me and my friend, we, we went to the first, first time we went to guitar center, we drove all night. We, we got there two hours before they opened. I think we went and got a, like a dollar jumbo Jack just to, you know, have breakfast, waited to the store open, went in there and, We'd never seen a Soldado amp before, and we walked in, and there was a row of them. We had never seen, you know, an Ibanez, uh, you know, Universe. And there was two of them. We never seen Gibson Les Pauls. We saw like one or two Les Pauls. There was rows of them. It was the greatest thing ever. It was like, it was like, I mean, seriously, it was like, it was like going to Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. It was such a great experience. And um, and what I remember was back then the Guitar Center they didn't let you touch everything. So we'd be like, can we play that Soldado? And they're like, nope. <laughs> Cause they knew we didn't have any money. So we'd buy some picks and some stuff, you know, anything that we could say we bought from the store and then we drive back and it was a great experience. They're a far cry from that now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I hate to say that cause I always have high hopes for them, but, um, Melissa, I'm really curious to see what you think of the Sam Ash stores. I always find they have better interaction with the employees in the Sam Ash stores. So, so I, I, to, to, to a fault almost. Um, so, you know, Sam Ash, I feel like uh, I, I like the store, but now at this point in my my life, I don't really need anybody to talk to me. So I don't mind that I go into Guitar Center and no one says anything to me. <laughs> um, but the Samish guys are the opposite. They always talk to you. But I always like now they're a little they're Sometimes they're a little too much for me. And I don't mean that, you know, I'm not dogging them because I'm like, you know, they're just so kind. They're like, hey, how do you like that amp? Hey, how's the guitar treating you? Hey, do you need a pick? You know, and you're like, that's great that they're involved. But deep down, you're like, ah, maybe it's better that they don't talk to me at the Guitar Center. I don't know. I have mixed reactions with both. So but I would recommend somebody to go to the Sam Ash over the Guitar Center. There, That's for sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, JBN 12 says, uh, hi, Phil. What is the difference in sound between a regular 
medium, and short scale base. And what do you think of the Ibanez Mezo base? The Ibanez Mezo base is done. I did that review. I didn't release it. That will release out soon. Um, it ended up getting re-edited and redone uh, because I did a comparison video and it got, I don't know, it just didn't vibe right. So you'll see when the video comes out, it makes more sense. So here's the answer to your question. Uh, what is the sound difference between the regular and the short and the medium scale basses to me? To me, first of all, to medium and regular scale, I almost find there's no difference in sound. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a little bit more punch in the low end on a medium scale. Like it's not as boomy, but more punchy. Maybe. But I really think that uh, as someone who plays a medium scale bass all the time, I, I've no one ever notices. No one's ever said anything to me, ever. Not once. No one notices. If I didn't tell anybody, because I play medium scale, 32 inch scale basses, I have a bunch of them and that's what I play. And whenever I play anywhere, not one person has ever said anything to me. No one's ever noticed. I, I have to tell them that it's a shorter scale bass. So medium to regular scale, I don't think there's any difference. So, you know, there that's the, that's the, in the sound and the way it plays. I mean, it plays a little easier because it's a little shorter, like a less pulse uh, scale to a strat scale. It's a little easier to bend, a little bit easier. Short scale bass. I think you can get away with short scale basses sounding as, as big as a bass as a regular scale bass. I've seen it done. I've never really played a short scale bass at that point, but I've, I've, I go and play, you know, I've seen shows and the, sh the bass players playing a short scale. It sounds great. But what I do notice me personally, cause I do own short scale basses is that I think the, the high string, the G sounds punchier, fuller, bigger. I think on the short scale uh, basses, the, the two higher strings, the D and the G, they sound a little better. You know what I mean? They just sound good. But the uh, the low B maybe doesn't have the the boom or the low end that the big uh, the bigger full scale has. That being said, I'm just telling you in theory what I think the differences are. Really, I think you can make any of them sound like any of them, except for I do notice that you get more of a melody melody kind of warmer high tone out of the short scale bass. So that's one of the advantages of that. Uh, and what do I think of the Mezo bass? Uh, here's what I think of the Mezo bass. So it's kind of a, it's dumb because I'm going to tell you because you're going to, you know, but you'll see the re review. The one I have is amazing. I love it. I highly recommend it. I did make a mention in the video though that I did pick up a few at some local guitar centers and all of them had a little bit of fret sprout and all of them didn't play as well as the, the one that was sent to me. The one that, and the reason I mentioned that is because the one that sent to me is amazing. It is as good as any bass I've ever played. And because of that, it actually made me curious because I was like, wow, this is really good. Is this a fluke? And so when I played a couple there on the street, what I noticed was they were close, but not as good. But it could have been because I got mine out of the box and it didn't sit around in a store getting, you know, manhandled or woman handled or people handled. I don't know what you say anymore nowadays. People handled. That's how musician handled. We're all musicians. How easy is that? We don't even have to say anything. We're all just musicians. So, uh, and uh, so there's the answer on that. Sean Coden says, Hey, Phil, just picked up a Dan Briggs signature Spectre five string. Uh, I like the Spectre basses because I play a, a Warwick, but it's the, it's the licensed Spectre bass shape. Uh, what's the number one thing you tell a guitar player exploring bass <laughs> and Spectre love? What's the number one thing I tell a guitar player exploring bass? Get a metronome. <laughs> And work on timing. Uh, timing is more important than, than, uh, well, cause I, I don't know. Cause you know, guitar players are, I always think of them as show off kind of thing, right? You know, you solo, you play a little stuff. Bass is definitely is more of a rhythm instrument, but definitely timing. That's the one thing I tell them to focus on for sure. 
So, by the way, great base, the Spectre base. Um, I love the Spectre bases. Um, it, it, like I said, that's why I got the 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 base that I have. The base I have is is a Warwick, but it, he it's a licensed Spectre design. But um, at least I think it's licensed by Spectre. I thought it was still licensed by Spectre. It's, it, it is the Spectre design. I can tell you that. Um, um, but I uh, I had a um, Warwick was able to build me my thirty two inch scale base. They were the only company that would really build it for me. I've asked so many companies and they were the first one to say yes. Uh, Tony Goyburn says, I'm putting together a, from leftover parts, a Les Paul Jr. Your choice for a pickup. Not too bright, not too warm. The pickups have aren't what I'm looking for. P.S. Don't forget about my guitar channel. Sure. You have a guitar channel? <laughs> I will mention it. Tony Goyburn has a guitar channel. Check that out. I'll check it out. I'm trying to remember if I have checked it out. I just don't remember. Keep in mind, today is a crazy day. Now, on that side, side note, I don't have a recommendation for pickups. I know that sucks, Tony, but I have good news because, like I said, I announced last week that next year, which really won't be next year, it'll be kind of somewhere quasi in December is when it'll kind of start, but next year I'll be reviewing 50 sets of pickups. I want to thank you guys that personally reached out to some companies. I'm telling you guys right now, if you guys reach out in my, uh, for me, I appreciate that. I have no problem with that. If you have a favorite pickup company, if you want to say, Hey, Phil McKnight's a channel. I like this channel. I like know your gear. He's doing 50 sets of pickups. And, uh, and, uh, here's, uh, here's the good news. Uh, I have a simple, easy email. I send everybody, every company, uh, well, not yet. Every company, every major company, I should say the way, every major company I reached out to and asked them if they want to do the pickup thing have been gung ho and let's do it. I've had a couple of smaller guys that haven't responded. I don't know why. Maybe they just don't have the, the pickups to send, but, um, but I, I'm, being very easy to deal with on this. This is a very good idea. And like I said, I am very determined to do 50 pickup video review reviews and uh, I'm going to do it because I've invested a lot of time and money in this. This is uh, I'm really excited about this. I've never been as excited about this. This is, this is a, hopefully you guys will enjoy this, but this is for me. I want to feel every year when I do YouTube, when I do this gear stuff, I really want to feel like I'm doing something for myself as much for you guys too. So, I mean, this is something I'm excited about. I've never been able to do this. And uh, this is great. Uh, let's see. Uh, Bruce Collins says, I finally found a 335 I might buy, but it is what the seller calls a finish crack on the neck. He said it, it's, it was a nitro thing. Gibson ES-335, is it a common thing? I don't see it in the wood below. Um, and yeah, well, you know, I did the uh, how to inspect your Gibson Les Paul video and we talked about that, you know, cracks and how to detect what they are. If they're through the finish or in the wood, obviously you got to look for anything that, if they're in the wood, you'll see a piece, you'll see a the color of the wood somewhere in the crack. Um, now, if it's an old crack, you have to kind of look to see if there's kind of maybe over time it's, it's uh, darkened from age or dirt. Um, the, tr the problem is Bruce is that just because he says it's a finished crack, he's so this is, this is a two part problem for your question. Yes. Finished cracks on the neck are just finished cracks and they're not really a big deal. The second part of that though, is I don't know because I'm not looking at it. If that's what it is, that's what he's saying. It is as a finished crack. So it's up to you to determine how truthful and accurate he's being based on all the information he's given you, but be aware that Yes, it could be a finished crack. And if it is a finished crack, are on guitars all the time. It happens. The guitar is fine. It'll last a million years. However, if it's not a finished crack and it's something worse than that, you know, so that's why you have to uh, do a little investigating and see how, uh, see how much information and how many pictures you can get. So do that. Neil A says, Hey, Phil, just purchased 
an Ormsby guitar. Oh, Ormsby hype guitar. Uh, just wondering your thoughts on fan fret, multi-scale guitars. Also, do you need to tread ebony fretboards the same as you would re a rosewood with lemon oil or, or et cetera? Okay, or et cetera. Okay, so this is the easy thing. So uh, I do, did I did finish a video called um, Guitar Maintenance Myths, and that will be out soon. That will that will solve a couple of your questions. I'm going to tell you, though, the answers real quick just for, for the, the point of this question. Um, I like Ormsby guitars, by the way. Uh, his name is Bruce Ormsby, right? Is this his first name? I met him once, and I thought his name was Bruce. But either way, he was a nice dude, and his guitars were sick. Uh, amazing guitars. Uh, that being said, I don't use multi-fret, uh, fan fret guitars like them, pick them up. I like a lot of people pick them up and go, yeah, I can see where I could do this, but I just don't own them. I don't, I don't know why. I don't, I, no particular reason. Um, uh, one day I will, cause there's nothing, I don't have a problem with it. It's just not something I desire to reach out and go get. So it's like, if I find a guitar I like and has fan frets, I'm getting it, but I'm not specifically buying a guitar cause I want fan frets. I hope that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then on that second note, uh, Ebony fretboard, here's what I would uh, do. If I was you, I would use, um, I'll put a link. Uh, Nomad has a great uh, fretboard conditioner that I, tr I truly like uh, that you can use. The thing with fret Ebony fretboards is you, you do want to treat them, but you don't need to treat them. At Rosewood, I say twice a year, Ebony, maybe once a year. It's really dense and it's not going to absorb a whole lot, but, uh, but yeah, twice a year. Uh, and that, that helps you regarding, regarding the lemon oil. Lemon oil is very controversial on the internet. Some people are like, oh, lemon oil is bad. Lemon oil is good. Uh, and that's why I did the maintenance myths video, um, which is like the other myths video I did that was really well. It's good, but it's so much research. You know what I mean? Because you got to give people an information that's not just my my opinion or what I think. I, I got to actually look into this a little bit more further. But on that note, I like the nomad stuff. In fact, so, you know, of doing the research myths, I already had opinions. I did a video. I think the patrons saw the first edition of the video where it was all my ideas. And then I went back and revisited it and looked during the research. And here's what I learned in the research I did. And I did a lot, just like when I did the last myth video, I, where I was on the phone with companies and I kept pounding information. Here's what I learned about the, all the fretboard conditioners and guitar polishes. I like lizard spit and I like nomad now. That's the two I really like learning what I've learned. I can't say there's anything wrong with any of the other stuff, but I can tell you, I do totally trust those two brands based on the research I've, I've done. So there you go. Uh, SD design uh, says, if you lived in an apartment complex, what amp would you buy? Management is strict about noise. I should find a small house. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, it's a great question. SD design, because uh, that's actually my fear. <laughs> <laughs> my whole life i've been afraid that my wife will want to live in like a townhouse or an apartment um uh i we used to live in an apartment when we when we first got together and uh and i was uh i was loud and the neighbor was louder so it kind of worked out but i my big fear is because i don't play super loud now but i'm so loud i'm not super loud now but i'm way too loud for an apartment that being said, if I was in an apartment complex that was super strict, I don't think I'd even use an amp at all. I think I would just go to like a computer-based studio monitors, use impulse responses, get amazing, because you can get amazing sounds. I even go to head headphones, right? But uh, here's what I can tell you. This is the good news. Something that a lot of people don't think about, and I've talked about this before as well. Um, when it comes to apartment volumes, here's the easy part. All you have to do is you can get a decibel meter app on your phone. It's totally free. Okay. If you don't have a decibel meter 
and set your TV to some volume setting that you enjoy. Watch a movie, watch a, an action packed movie on your TV in your apartment. Watch it at the volume that you think is comfortable for you and friends and family to watch the show and check the decimal meter. And that's now your ceiling. In other words, that's where no one gets bothered. And then it doesn't matter what amp you use. You just understand that you can't go above that. So when you're playing your amp, just put your decimal meter on your phone, put it on there. The phone ones are not very accurate, but they'll get you, they're going to get you close. Um, and then you can play and go, Hey, look, man, if you're not louder than the TV, there's no reason that, you know what I mean? The only thing that's going to change is if your amp's directly on the floor and you're on the second story, because that's going to reverberate down to the downstairs neighbors. And of course, if you're running more low frequencies than your TV normally does. But if a guitar amp, unless you're playing gent or heavy metal um and chunking a lot the guitar should be in this you know shouldn't be so much lower frequencies just stay in those mid-range frequencies of the tv so that's a suggestion for that um and the reason i tell you is that as i don't live in an apartment but when my kids go to sleep my wife goes to sleep at night and I want to keep playing i actually leave the tv on i did a video where i talked about this i leave the tv on when i play music but not because i watch tv because i've learned that if I'm at or below that TV volume, they just don't know I'm playing guitar. But when I used to not play the TV and play guitar, they always woke up and said, you woke me up playing guitar. So the interesting thing about uh, my, my age, <laughs> my age group uh, is that I've officially now had an interesting uh, revelation or I don't know, full circle. I don't know revelation. I've gone full circle. I have experienced this in my life. I think this is funny. Maybe you guys will, those of you that are, that are middle-aged men will enjoy this and women. Uh, I have now been told by my parents that I was playing too loud. And I've been told by my kids I've been playing too loud. That is a funny experience to have your, your door open in your room for your parents to say, turn it down. Right. <laughs> and then years and years later to be playing and then have the door open and have my kids go, dad, turn it down. It's, I started laughing so hard. I'm like, I have now officially been too cool for my parents and too cool for my kids. <laughs> In my head, that's the answer. That's probably not their answer, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes, I've been, <laughs> I just thought it was funny. So, okay. Um, where else? Uh, Sarang. Uh, Sarang says, Hey, Phil, do you think CV tellies will continue to be as great as they uh, were as they were now that court is making them? I asked because they're, these were the best guitars from China Factory, but a mid tier. What's CV tellies? What am I missing? Why do I not know what a CV telly is? So somebody with the CV tellies classic vibe. Thank you. V man. You are awesome. V man. V man. If you send me a, a thing to ask, know your gear at Phil McKnight, I'll send you a pics and stickers. Um, so thank you for helping me out. Let me refresh this. Okay. Uh, so class vibe tellies. Uh, I didn't know anything had changed. Uh, so I don't know who, so to answer your question, Serang, I wasn't, I'm not sure who was making them before. Uh, now you're saying that, so obviously you've heard that, uh, that they are okay. So it says CB, so classic vibe tellies will continue to be as good as they were now that court is making them. Okay. So your, your question is basically stating that before court was not making them and now court is, in my experience, court makes some of the best guitars for, uh, for OEM manufacturers. So I would imagine that it's going to be, uh, shocking to see a manufacturer that was doing a much, much better, um, 
much better than what Court is already doing. And Court is a company that's just constantly uh, improving their 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 uh, quality of their guitars. You know what I mean? And in that's you know, if you notice I'm stuttering, it's because court's got some controversy about labor and stuff. So I always, you know, I'm always waiting for that hiccup of that. That stuff's not good, but you know, we live in a world we live in and I can't, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to solve the world's problems. I can only talk about the guitars, not the politics of the employers, but uh, without talking about courts, politics of their employees, um, their quality, their manufacturing of their guitars are, I've never been in question. So very good. So, uh, but there you go. Uh, yeah, I saw you guys said I was dropping out. It should be fixed now. I saw it. It was taken up. And then let's uh, let's grab one more question before we go. Hold on. Uh, I want to grab a super chat. I'm going to clean that up, and then we'll hit a non-super chat. HK says, hey, Phil, I wasn't expecting to buy a Katana Mark II 100 watt, but I was very taken by it. Have you tried it, and what do you think of Katana's success? Thank you. I like the Katana when I reviewed the first one. I really enjoyed it. I had the 100 watt one. I think I've mentioned this a, a thousand times. I sold it and uh, I was intended to buy the, the 50 watt version and didn't. Um, and uh, long story short, uh, I uh, kept telling myself I should buy one. I, I don't know why. Uh, so now I'm back on the, maybe I want the 100 watt again. I, I don't. I actually want the 50 watt. I like the 100 watt because it has the effects loop. I like, there's so many quality things about the 100 watt one, but I really want the Katana as more of a practice amp. So I really want a smaller footprint and a nice amp. What I thought about doing was buying one as an official, like to test pedals with, maybe I was like, well, I always run my pedals through some, some kind of fender amp or tube amp. Maybe it'd be interesting to run pedals through the Katana and through an AB box. And I thought about doing that, especially for next year. If you guys think there's value in that, do you guys think that when I review a pedal or a guitar, that there would somehow be a value because what I'm talking about is recording everything the same way, mic it up and everything, just literally being able to say, okay, when I play a riff, here's how it sounds through a solid state amp. Here's how it sounds with a tube amp. If you think there's value in that, I will definitely buy a Katana. Um, that being said, I like the Katana a lot. I've said this uh, dozens of times. I like it better than most of the practice amps in the market. I like that it's a transistor amp and not a modeling amp. I like Boss products, of course. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just for some reason, I've never landed on Boss's radar as a channel to work with. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Um, but that being said... I don't need them to work with me. I like their product. I, I buy their product all the time. Uh, behind me is, uh, well, just there is probably 30 boss pedals <laughs> on just those two shelves. And that's what you guys can see. So I, I like boss. So let me know in your th thoughts on that. I, I'd be interested to know if you guys think there's value in that. Uh, Raymond says, I have a Fishman Piezo system, Piezo system, Piazzo system, pizza system. I say it different every video. And every time they tell me I'm wrong, I laugh. Everybody always tells me, this is the right way. And every time somebody tells me it's the right way, somebody tells me the other way is the right way. I love that word. I'm going to keep saying it the way I like to say it. System. <laughs> so a piezo system in an expensive Fender acoustic, hard to hear the B. Any, any suggestions? Yeah. If you have a transducer pickup in an acoustic guitar um, and you are not hearing one of the strings, it, it's very common to, to have that problem and definitely the problems is the B string is usually the biggest culprit. It is always the B string and then the G string, but definitely the B string the most. And a lot of times it's because they're using a really inexpensive foil, uh, transducer, uh, pen 
uh, I don't know what you call it, but I call it a pin. It's like a, a, a pin that goes underneath the plastic saddle. Now, here's the thing. If the saddle is not perfectly flat, in other words, if somebody sanded it and made a little bit of a little, little bit of an indentation on that saddle, you're not getting full resonance of that string down against that saddle, uh, against that pin. So first thing you want to do is loosen the strings, capo the 12th fret. This is how you do it. You put a capo on the 12th fret, loosen all the strings. Okay. Pull all the pins out of the acoustic. That way the strings won't spiral out of control. They're going to all stay in line because they're capoed to the 12th fret. And then pull the, the plastic bridge out or if it's bone or whatever it is. You said fender acoustic. I'm assuming it's plastic. Pull it out. Find a flat surface. I use, a, I have a bar, a special metal bar that's perfectly flat, but you can use any kind of flat surface. Put the uh, saddle on the surface and make sure that it's perfectly flat. Then if it is, now what you want to do is as you reinsert it back in, make sure that it's not sticking to anything. In other words, sometimes it doesn't push against the saddle. It pushes against the, one of the, the sides of the walls of the, of the wood of the bridge. And, uh, believe it or not, 90% of the time, and that's the fix just done. That's just easy. Reseed it. And it's, it's golden. Um, if, uh, that doesn't, and then what you do is just reseat all the strings, put the pins back in, uh, tighten up the strings uh, a little bit, not all the way, halfway, and then uncapo it and then finish up the way, play. And if it solves the problem, you're good. If it doesn't solve the problem, do that same process again. Capo, take loosen the strings, take that out. And now what I want you to do is take a uh, something metal, something not sharp that would damage, but something metal and tap on the transducer from the base side to the treble side equally in one millimeter increments and make sure that you hear equal amounts of tapping across it all the way around to make sure you don't have a bad crystal in there or a bad piece in there because they go bad all the time as well. Those are the two things that I would do if you brought it into me for repair. That's the first things I check. And uh, I, I, I've got to be honest, 90% of the time that I go, yep, the problem solved and I hand it back to you and you go, you fixed it. And I go, yeah, I fixed it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but anyways, that's what I think that's going to solve it most of the times. If that doesn't solve it, then now you really got to look at um, there could be other issues going on. Okay. Uh, but so, you know, another trick too, by the way, with acoustics is if anytime acoustics, uh, only acoustics, electrics, I don't recommend this, but acoustics, anytime somebody has a problem with an acoustic, this is the, this is the funniest thing. Anytime somebody says they got a sympathetic rattle on the acoustic or the guitar is buzzing, or you got a transducer, not, you know, uh, it's not, it's being clear. Anytime you got a problem with acoustics, first rule of acoustics, like a computer about reboot it, right? Just reboot it with acoustic, restring it. Take the strings off and restring it again. Make sure you're restringing it right. A lot of times, restringing an acoustic wrong, not seating the string into the post correctly, not getting it into the tuning key correctly, not just everything, you know, just sometimes miss just a little bit of inconsistencies in the restring can cause problems. Definitely check that. Um, so that's the easiest way. Um, okay. The last... Nope. Uh, we're getting to the last. Richard Morris says, how do I become one of the cool kids? Question mark. Patrons? Question mark. Uh, to become a patron, you can go to the Patreon page and uh, just become a patron. There's different tiers of what they do. Uh, and um, and basically, if you become the highest tier, you're supporting this live show and what I do, you're supporting the channel. Um, if you become a dollar tier, you're still supporting the channel, but there's less, obviously, stuff going on. I try to interact. I do giveaways uh, for the patrons. I try to interact with the patrons more. Um, it's tough. 
you know what I mean? The patrons are, I mean, I, I'm going to be just very honest with you. Patron is mostly about helping my channel out more so than me interacting with you guys. I try to give back because you guys are, they're the building blocks of the channel, but those the, check that out, Richard. If any of that stuff uh, seats you guys, if you notice, I don't really talk about patron a whole lot. I'm lucky enough to have a lot of patrons that have been very loyal for a long time. And literally, um, they, I mean, I wake up some days seriously and I'm like, I don't know if I want to make a video. I got all this stuff to do. I got a lot of stuff to take care of. And then I go, ah, but the patrons wouldn't be happy with it, would they? And then I do it. So, uh, that's the main thing patron does for me is they make sure I, I keep working and, and doing the stuff. So, uh, but ch check it out. I'll put a link, uh, now in the index. So I want to index this. I'll put a link to patron. If any of you guys are curious about that and all my patrons that watch, if you ever have any ideas of how I can improve patron, please help me. Most of my problems with patron is I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> do stuff and what i mean by that is patrons kind of funny uh you you do something and then uh you lose patrons and then you're like oh well they didn't like that and you do something else then you get patrons i don't know it's weird so you got to figure out what you know what people like um fred dodgel says your favorite delay flanger and chorus pedals uh my favorite delay pedal is the acid reflux by taurus pedals for sure it's uh what's on my board i'm looking at it right now then after that it's probably dd3 by boss then after that is the um, carbon copy by MXR. Those are my, and then after that is the, what's the purple? It's behind me. The purple analog uh, boss delay. But but in, in order, it's the acid reflux, DD3 and carbon copy. Those are the three delays I use. Um, I, I use the acid reflux the most and the DD3 the most. Um, my favorite flanger, I don't even use a flanger. I literally own one. It's a purple boss flanger. Um, this is a true story. <laughs> I have a purple boss flanger. This is a wrap myself out. I have a purple boss flanger that I bought used. That only I've never even seen if it worked. <laughs> it may not work. <laughs> but if I ever need a flanger, that's how I'm used. Now I will tell you this. You I use uh like I'll use that's what I'll use a digital pedal for, is I'll use you know for modulation effects. Chorus pedals, I have two boss pedals. I have an MXR chorus pedal. Same thing. I, I don't use them on my boards. I have two boards, pedal boards. I'm very consistent. I use both boards have different tremolos on them. Both boards have delays on them. Uh, and both boards have compressors on them. And that's the end of it for effects. Other, everything else for me is overdrives and fuzzes. So I'm just not, I don't use those effects. I use delay a lot. And that's why I have a delay pedal I love and why I use it. So uh, sorry, Fred, not a very exciting answer. Hopefully you can. Yeah, so, so Bo boss BF2 is boss. Yeah, I mean, I like boss stuff. So, so there you go. All right, let's do one more question before we go. Uh, and, and, um, Okay. Hold on. I'm just looking. Hold on. Edwin Dante said, Phil threw me under the bus first time on a live chat. I don't know what I said. <laughs> what did I say? So, all right. Sorry, Edwin. I obviously don't mean to offend anybody. Um, <laughs> okay um i'm just looking like trying to find that hold on one more 
Um, oh, okay. Here's one. Uh, it's not a question. It's kind of a question. Jeff Fleming says, greetings, Phil. I just bought a D'Angelico 50% off semi-hollow, the 335 style Grateful Dead edition for $4.99 from Sweetwater. What are your thoughts of D'Angelico guitars? Um, I like D'Angelico guitars. I don't know why I don't own one. It's a, again, it's a strange, strange, you know, guitar just never found its way into, into my life. Um, I've picked up and played a few and every single one of them. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Seem to like the brand. I like the pricing. I like the guitars. Just, you know, uh, like I said, even like the company, uh, I've had very few experiences with them, but the ones I had were great. I did the, how do you say video? And they were very helpful. That was a hard video that I think I talked about that. I did the, how do you say your name video at, at NAM, and that video, um, I never did a follow-up to it because the first one was just so hard. It took me three days and I worked, I, I mean, I was working the entire show just to try to get companies to agree to be on the, the video. It was weird. <laughs> it was a weird thing for me. I'm like, okay, I want to help. I want to do this video. It's going to be great. And you're going to get a lot of promotion out of it. And, and, um, you know, and, and then the video didn't get amazing views. So, I mean, I, I'm happy with it. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely a video I love. Um, but, um, uh, let's see. And on that note, I think we're going to call it. I think that's it. I think we did it. Um, make sure I did not forget Hold on, last refresh, and I did. Okay, so there's one last super chat came in. Oh, it's just uh, T. Mipseed <laughs> said, thanks for the stream. Oh, you're welcome. That was the best way. To, that's the way to end the show. And on that note, speaking of being patron, I want to thank the patrons, so I'm going to do a big shout-out real quick. Uh, without this time, I'm not going to mess it up, as I sometimes do. So this is the live sh uh, show support group. These are the people that support the live show like you guys by watching every week. They support it. It's uh, F crew, James Biles, Lawrence Petros, Rob Martha, David Foy, Blake Bean, Derek Miller, Gene Graham, Michael Mooney, Alasdar McLeod, Bruce Collins, Andy Dennis, Gary Phillips, Sam Oram, Chief Squatch, Muse Guitarist, ba Bob Crosley, Todd Flowers, Tim Farnsworth, Zesty Basil Pizza, Greg Peterson, Dennis Prescott, Craig Parker, Lonnie Hoke, Joseph McCarthy, Anthony Desposito, Brian Stewart, Kermit Jackson, Tim Camacho, Paul Ostrike, Michael Lindner, Jonathan Pickering, Bob Pickwode, Louis and Alvaro from Pedal Pal Effects, Chris at the Guitar Pit, Jeff Howes, BB Ninja, Zachary Rowe, Justin Mabe, and Jeff Thompson. It's a, it's a long list, and I'm really, really thankful to have that list because, like I said, it makes this uh, possible every week. As you guys know, it, uh, it helps it even if YouTube's playing shenanigans. Um, you guys are supporting the channel, and I appreciate that. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. You guys have an amazing weekend, and until next week, uh, I'll hope to see you. Next week's Black Friday. Love to know your thoughts whether or not I should do a show on Black Friday. Usually I tell people, you know, what, uh, enjoy some family time. But uh, this year, I'm going to have what's called fake fakes giving. In other words, fakes giving like it's fake. Um, because of a misalignments with family and friends, we're going to have fakes giving on a different day than Thanksgiving. So on Thanksgiving, I don't, we're not going to be really doing Thanksgiving. So maybe I'll have Black Friday to do a show. Let me know what you guys think. As always, uh, thank you guys. And next week, I will see you on Friday. Take care. Oops, there he goes.